RPS. Live from Premier Beta Sound 2022. Proudly presented by Cupra. Welcome to Radio Primavera Sound and welcome to day three of uh, the first weekend of the Primavera Sound Festival. We're all here in one piece, I think, roughly, uh, apart from Johan, who isn't. And we've got very special guests in the form of Boy Harsha, who it's so nice of them to come because they've just been telling us about their kind of rather punishing touring schedule. And after this, they're going home, at, well, going to the hotel to sleep. So thank you so much. Oh, yeah. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. I was going to say, Jay Matthews and Augustus Muller, uh, who said I can call him Gus. Thank you, yeah. <laughs> That'd be great. So you've been... We, we were talking about this before we before we started, but, like, you... This is your first time in Barcelona, right? Yes. And so far, what do you think? Beautiful city. Yeah, it's great. Loving it. You just came from Prague, which... I was saying is very sort of suitable for your music. What about Barcelona? Do you get that the same kind of vibes? I mean, we haven't played yet. So I think that once we play, we'll see maybe how the reception goes. Prague, we've played there multiple times. So we know from history that we work well there. You're playing at 3 a.m. at the WeGo stage. Just so people know. <laughs> I'm just throwing <laughs> yeah. the info now. Um, how... Are you excited? How do you prepare for a set, like especially at that time stuff? Like you just sleep all day and then pop up to the set? Yeah, I mean, it's tough because this past tour has been more like um, rock standard. So we're playing earlier than usual. We're mm -hmm. playing typically at like 9 p.m. Um, as like a headlining show. Before, when we started playing music, we would get booked mainly at parties um, or club nights, and that's when you play at midnight or one. So, I don't know, we're kind of like old people now. So we have to readjust <laughs> to figure out how to make the 3 a.m. work. How is tour life? Like, you've been touring for since March, you said before, and you've got a few cities left still. How, uh, how does traveling so much and and doing these crazy hours how how does that feel how are you like feeling like real people i, I think i would disassociate <laughs> a bit like <laughs> this is not real life i'm just yeah well i think first off it's a privilege i mean we're so lucky to be doing this um i'm also have horrible acid reflux for the last <laughs> two weeks so it's like, yeah, like a privileged acid reflux. I think it's a good <laughs> analogy. You, you're playing at three, as we mentioned, uh, which it, I think is a very good time. Kind of goes well with 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 the feel of your music. I think. Uh, have you have you played in like broad broad daylight many times? I mean, not often, but every time it is a little awkward. I'd say. I feel like France loves a good day party, and <laughs> yeah, we, just, we yeah. played a day party last week in Lyon. Yeah. Um, but yeah, still great energy, but yeah, just like, kind of like using my hand as a visor. <laughs> yeah. When you have sunglasses and your hand, you know, you're onto, onto a bag. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't use, I never, like, I, I guess I'm on camera right now, but I don't normally wear sunglasses. <laughs> I feel like it's maybe a little too cool. It's also, I mean, just practically, you can't see, um, we play electronic music. And so a lot of times you're like indicators are red lights and you can't see them with sunglasses in the daytime, you know. Oh, damn, that's a good point. I hadn't even thought about that. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, I would say your music has a certain gothic aesthetic. Is that fair enough? Like the gothic quarter, that aesthetic? Exactly. Well, that's what I was going to say. Is, is that all right? Can I, can I use the goth word? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It's, that's also, yeah, an honor. Did you, sorry, this is an obsession of mine at the moment. Did you go to goth clubs when you were younger? Um, well, I mean, I grew up in a very small town in upstate New York, and so there were no clubs, period. So much less a goth club. But I do remember really fantasizing about that, like, moment. You know, you see it on TV shows. Um, I think my goth club was like a laser tag, <laughs> <laughs> like arena, like same deal. Yeah, I'm from a really small town. So like the laser tag place played like Sandstorm and Nine Inch Nails. And I feel like yeah, actually, exactly. that was a huge influence I, on me. I think we were talking about this with the girls from Wet Leg too. And they, they're also from a very small town. And, and they said like maybe being from a small town makes you more creative because there's not much to do and you have to entertain yourself. And, and then you have like more creative energy than maybe people who can actually go to these clubs and then they feel like they're fulfilled and, and not have to imagine it. I mean, I can't speak to that because I think that would be unfair for me to say either way. But I will say that growing up, I have very distinct memories of like driving around the countryside at nighttime because that's all you could do. And you'd see like a barn in the distance and lights would be on in the barn. And in my mind, I'd be like, wow, imagine if that was a like show where there's music playing and there's a bunch of people dancing. And we are lucky enough where like somehow that's kind of been realized for Boy Harsha, you know? We get to do those places, play those barns. The other word, uh, well, actually, I was going to say driving. Your music's very good driving music, isn't it? Do you get that a lot? Yeah, and it's probably like intentional, maybe, yeah. I mean, that's another, like, pretty big inspiration for me is, like, looking out the window while driving. Mm. Like, since I was, like, a kid, just, like, listening to music while driving. It's, like, that shot's always in every one of our music videos. Just camera <laughs> out the window. Mm -hmm. Something about just the landscape blasting by. A lot of musicians, well, some, say that when, they're, when they've finished a song, or they think they've finished a song, they go and take it out in the car to see how it sounds. Do you do that? Yeah. You play it on the stereo in your car, yeah. I think that's, it's standard too in a way because after when you're recording, you really want to judge what just happened based on a bunch of different sound areas. So the car is a classic sound place to listen. Another thing that obviously comes out a lot when people are talking um, about your music is, is film. Um, and it's very filmic, atmospheric music. You met at film school. Why do you think like electronic music works well uh, as a soundtrack? That's a good question. Um, well, the like alternative to electronic music for soundtrack would be like an entire orchestra, but that's like maybe not as accessible. So I feel like electronic music is a way to have like really high production value or like reach a lot of different emotions in sort of a simpler, more minimal way. We talked to Daniel Harl like a month ago, and, and he is also like electronic musician, producer, um, amazing person also. <laughs> um, and he said, for example, you were saying the other um, option would be an orchestra. And he said like, 
to him orchestras were um, if they were not so high regarded in as an elite thing to have in culture everyone would respect more electronic music as the thing to do now like do you agree in that sense like electronic music is like the thing that should be done now because it's the instruments that we invented now so it's the the thing that makes more sense to do do you like to me it was something that i had never thought about and and i thought it made so much sense he said like if mozart or whoever was alive he would be playing the instruments in this time and age um, with the like um, machines and stuff like that do you see that like it's it's the time that we should be making electronic music so we're saying there's not enough respect for electronic music yeah, now kind of i don't know if i agree with that i feel like this festival is like so electronic based i feel like we're there's a lot of regard for electronic music especially in europe but not as a high art, Not maybe? as a high art, yeah. I mean, yeah, we're drinking beer and <laughs> staying up to 5 a.m. and doing other things. But it things. is kind of interesting to think about how, like, as musicians, you use the tools that are current and available to you, right? So, like, you know, if you were born, like, 100 years ago, what instrument would you be using, right? Like, so I guess that's also kind of part of the question. Yeah, I mean, if I was born 100 years ago, I would not be making music. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I need technology to make music. I rely on it so much. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but in terms of score, like, I think also what makes electronic music so perfect in terms of matching up is, like, it can be very dynamic. Um, like, Tangerine Dream, right? Like, it's their electronic music is hyper orchestrated. So it maybe kind of has a similar feeling, but it's a little more perverse or something. Your new album is, is also a film, The Runner. Um, why did you decide to do that? I mean, obviously we know you've got background in film, but why take that, that particular step? So two years ago, COVID started, shows <laughs> got canceled. Yeah. We both had nervous breakdowns. What are we going to do? Tried to record some music, recorded some kind of wild songs, worked with some friends, got some vocal features. Had sort of this like pretty eclectic record, which was like an early form of the Runner original soundtrack. But we needed some way to like make it feel more cohesive to us or give it like a story. And we had this extra time before shows were coming back. So we wrote a script to the first six songs we had written and based those around the songs. And we thought that those songs would include the vocal features as actors and it was a way to sort of tie this whole album together. Would you prefer people to sort of uh, enjoy them both? I mean, how do you feel about, because when you make something that works as a unit, I could imagine you've thought about how it all works together, how this song goes into this song, how this, and then, you know, people pick them off on playlists, so kind of. Yeah, I mean, I, we wanted the album to stand alone. I think it's like, you know, that album cycle is like pretty rigid. It's always gonna be kind of based around like vinyl production. But we were sort of amazed that the film got a lot of traction. Yeah. It got a lot of screenings in theaters. We got a lot of distribution digitally. We worked with Shudder in the United States. It was a bit tragic because the whole plan was to have, you know, the day the album is released, the movie is also released. And so you have this opportunity to 
see them in tandem and maybe it will give you a little bit more. But then, of course, and this happened, I think, to everybody this year, it, the vinyl production was delayed. So our release date got totally flawed. But then, yeah, much to our surprise, like people just kept on booking the film in theaters. And that was really flattering and strange. Yeah, I talked to someone last night that they saw The Runner at a nice cinema here. And that was amazing to hear. I I, I always think that must be really amazing. How did you feel um, when you, you first saw The Runner in a cinema screen with people who'd paid to go and watch it? We were so stressed out. I mean, we had not, the yeah. first time we saw it, we went to the premiere in LA yeah. at Brain Dead at Studios. Brain Dead. Um, we hadn't seen it on a big screen yet. I mean, we edited this ourselves at our house on our computers. Um, we didn't get the opportunity to do the test screening. So there was like a lot, you know, a lot of technical thinking, being like, oh, wow, it translates a little differently on big screen. And then a lot of emotions of our friends being there. and Yeah, we were just like in this theater surrounded by our peers and our friends. And then, of course, strangers and press. I thought I was going to pass out. <laughs> I was so stressed out. But have you sneaked back in to see it on a, on a regular screening? We, I mean, we have now been lucky to have opportunities to watch it in many times. So Alamo Cinema, um, they did a double feature with The Runner. And in some theaters, they did it with Miss 45. And some theaters, they did it with Rabid. And so in New York, we got to go see it play in front of Miss 45. And that was so sick. Yeah. The fact that it went so well and it was such a success. Do you like have the energy to like and, and creative ideas to like start a new project? Or you're so focused on, on touring and having this feeling of success that you're not thinking about new projects now? that you can talk about, maybe. I think after the premiere, we were just like, wow, this is amazing. We want to keep making films. And then we just jumped into tour, and that was kind of took our attention. But I think when we have more time, we're going to like revisit what like our next like visual project will look like. I think, Gus, you said, and I apologize for quoting back something you said to you, <laughs> <laughs> there's still a lot more to explore in the world of The Runner. <laughs> Um, so what might that be? So we've talked about this before, but basically the runner is like a collection of a lot of characters and ideas we've been exploring since we've been a band. Yeah, since we've met even, I'd say. Um, and I feel like we flesh them out, you know, pretty well with the runner, but I, I feel like we'd like to just like keep keep creating these characters, you know, the desperate woman, the runner, the desperate man. The lonely woman. The lonely woman. I think, yeah, when we watched the film, that was the biggest thing that stood out. It's just like, there were so many characters, and in a way, it's like, man, I want to know their story. Like, I want to watch them for a while. Like, man with a neck brace, like, what is going on with him? I want to know. So if there's anything happening in the future, we'll be really exploring those worlds. That, I think, is the mark one of the marks of a good film though that you sort of see a minor character and you're like oh, I want to know what's happening you know in, in, in their world it's kind of like Disney's doing with Star Wars I don't know if you like that kind of thing but yeah, I absolutely yeah. love it because oh that minor character's <laughs> turned up again and yeah, now you want to know where he went to uni or something like that <laughs> like, what's his story um, as people who think so much about music and film 
Can you watch a film with a bad soundtrack or does it drive you insane? It drives me crazy. <laughs> but Gus, we're, I, I think we're a little different. I'm a little... I don't know. Lately, it's been really hard to watch a film for me. Um, but then when you watch a really good one like Titan, we just saw that and the soundtrack was so sick. So, yeah, but when it's a bad soundtrack, it starts to really stress me well, out. Let's do this. What's a bad no, soundtrack? No, you're yeah, not allowed. I'm so glad I'm you trying asked to think No, you're not it. allowed to. I don't know if I've seen a film recently where I'm like, wow, this is unlistenable. There was like an Argento reboot fairly recently. I love that soundtrack. See, this is where we disagree. And that just took me out of it completely. I was like, I can't. I gotta exit. Yeah, the Tom York uh, like end sequence with his vocals, I guess, is contentious. I think some people thought the vocals were distracting, but I loved it. <laughs> I was trying very hard not to even like be direct, but well, we're on blast. I would Tom say York, that like in, <laughs> in, beef. That's it. It's no. better to talk about the soundtracks at work and are inspiring. Those are my favorites. Well, I was going there. What, what are your favorites? Well, I th would say too. There's like a real difference between score and soundtracks. Um, so often we'll talk about Lost Highway, and that's like a quintessential like soundtrack, right? Like uh, Trent Reznor was the cultivator on that so he's like pulling all of his friends in and it's it really really fun to listen to like this magic moment is such a part of that film I don't know if you're familiar but it's a really beautiful moment and just to hear like Lou sing it's perfect but then score what would you say is like one of your favorite scores I mean like the Johan Johansson stuff is like oh, yeah. pretty major for me Sicario that goes back to like electronic music as classical music mm -hmm. Uses mostly, I think, acoustic instruments, but it has like a very electronic feel to it. Yeah. And just like something like the Sicario soundtrack is just incredible for me. Yeah, that, I mean. Or the Mandy soundtrack. Or, yeah. He's, yeah. Do you like the Wendy Carlos soundtrack to the Clockwork Orange? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, that's. And the Shining. The Shining. The Shining main thing, I think, is like kind of the coolest. Like they. She sampled, she didn't sample, but she like essentially sampled the notes of a classical song and just like looped it. But I heard she was so, like she made loads of music for The Shining and then Kubrick only used, I don't know, 20 minutes and that was why she hasn't done soundtrack since. Oh, really? really? Yeah, I think he's probably. I mean, yeah, I think he's like classically, with. yeah, kind of a tough okay. character. Yeah. 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 He's known to be not easy to work with. I was going to say, my parents had a very normal record collection, Beatles and Rolling Stones. And for some reason, they had the Clockwork Orange soundtrack and that. <laughs> I love it. Scared me so much as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Gus, you said something which really, really um, appealed to me. Because I, long, long, long time ago, used to skateboard. And I used to watch skateboard videos. And they had the coolest soundtracks. And you said that you got a lot of your music from, from skate videos. Like, what kind of thing? Yeah, um, like the first skate video, like big skate video I saw like was the end, the birdhouse video. And that's like where I heard like DJ Shadow for the first time. Um, and then like David Bowie is in that one section too, but like in a very like punk way. And that just like made me rethink David Bowie a lot. I don't, I don't know. It just goes back to like the small town, like where you getting your media from, and like yeah, skate videos was like this like, like look at 
underground music that I'd never seen before. Has anyone used your music in a skate video? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're really lucky. What is the brand? I actually like kind of forgot. Yeah, there's this cool Bay Area. Uh, Marby is this skateboarder who she like is such a fan. And so she often is like supporting us. And so she uses the song Autonomy in this new brand. They release a video. Too. Yeah, they're skateboards. There, yeah. Oh, cool. Did they send you a load of skateboards? Yeah, we got two decks. <laughs> yeah, that's that's cool. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask, if I may, um, about about pain, um, which has become, well, I mean, certainly in statistic-wise, uh, your biggest song or what, one of your biggest songs. Like, were, were you surprised with how, how big it has become? Like, how much it has taken off? Yeah, absolutely. I think that comes off of the first thing we ever recorded. And I remember at the time, I mean, this probably is still really common, but it's different for us now because, right, there's a bunch of people helping you release your music. But back then, you have no one. And so this random Russian YouTuber, or do you remember? I feel like they're based in Russia, but they uploaded it. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like, someone else uploaded the song. And then you just watch how... It's unreal, yeah. So I think at the time it was really surprising and it remains pretty surprising. Yeah, we released it as a tour tape. Yeah, yeah. 69 copies. Yeah. Didn't know if we were going to sell them. Went on a tour and no one came to it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so America, you've got 69 yeah. under your bed. <laughs> oh, no, those are a record that we, you know, we're just giving those. We're trying to get people to listen to our music. Yeah. <laughs> giving those to yeah, the consignment. Store. You know, you go on tour and you go to the record shop and you're like, hey, you want to buy some tapes? And they're like, man, we can just do consignment. Yeah. So like, All right, great. Well, it's just your cool record store. We'll just, you can just have them. Yeah. And just PayPal us when you sell those. <laughs> yeah. Did, did they PayPal you? No, no, I don't think that's ever happened. And this is like history yeah. of people dropping off tapes at record stores. <laughs> so I'm really, really, really glad that the pain has to, well, yeah, that everything's taken off because that that's a that's a that's a painful story. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're really lucky. I was thinking about this like fairly recently. Like, uh, we had to cut our teeth on like tiny non stages, like basements, and we did that for so long, and we're so deeply humbled by it that now we get to really savor these moments. What what was the thing that made you think like, wow, we made it, like? It, it doesn't have to be like a big thing, like, but a moment that to you was special and thinking, wow, we got here or whatever. The second time we played, I mean, the first time we played in LA, it was for our standards, a bigger room for us. And our friends booked it, right? Because you still have friends booking shows. And they were like, guys, I think it's sold out. And it's at a DIY spot. And I was like, what? Because... At the moment, the only people I really thought liked our music were our friends. And I was like, we don't have any friends mm -hmm. in L.A., though. So, like, who's buying these tickets? And it was one of the best shows I think we've played ever. It was at Nonplus Ultra, and our friends um, High Functioning Flesh put it on. That sounds, like, amazing. That The feeling of breaking the, the your friends and family listening yeah. to a huge audience that you don't know when they just love you because of what you create. Yeah, so. unreal. So what to us one more thing about Paint. Is it, is it a hard song to sing live? It's difficult for me, but it's um, a standard. I would say that like now I've probably done it. We've done it like 
thousands of times. I don't know. I feel like we've done it like so much that, you know, but what's good is at one point we condensed it because it is quite a long song, but now we've gone back to the full like club mix, like the eight minute. And that's good because you have this chance in the middle to get people like really involved. So it's fun to sing live. I want to ask one more question if I can, and it's going to be totally indulgent, but I'm, I'm going to go for it. Are you fans of the Sisters of Mercy? Yeah. Yeah, big, big fans. I'm really glad. Everyone, literally, I, they played Barcelona recently. No one would go with me, and everyone <laughs> here was laughing at me for going. Why? Because they're awful people. <laughs> no, I mean, that music video, right? What It's like where he's oh. like on the chain link, and it's oh, like... This corrosion, was it? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah. It's so good. Right, you see everyone? <laughs> Fashionable people like the Sisters of Mercy. It's not, it's not, it's not just me. <laughs> Look, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much uh, for coming. 3 a.m. this morning. You'll be there. We'll be there. All right. And um, I'm sure thousands and thousands of people will be there. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you. Cool. Yeah, thank you.